0: Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game. Hey, this is Natalie with Gunderson's Future Work Playbook. This season, we are focusing on ESG initiatives, environmental, social, and governance. And today we have a very special guest, Lorraine Wilson, the Chief Sustainability Officer of Nevada. Nevada is the perfect solution for startups and other private companies who understand the value of ESG initiatives, but just need some help getting started. Nevada's mission is to empower private markets to achieve a more inclusive and sustainable form of capitalism. And they make it easy for companies to incorporate ESG metrics so that value is measurable. Lorraine, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us today.
1: So glad to be here with you today, Natalie, and just excited to get into our discussion.
0: Oh, same, same. Thank you so much. Lorraine, why don't we start by talking about what inspired you to pursue this role of Chief Sustainability Officer of Nevada, and what are some of the key experiences or qualifications you think are important?
1: Well, I think it's a question that I, um, I've gotten over the years, and what I've come to realize is that there's really no one path To becoming a chief sustainability officer. So I'll say, you know, that's the caveat. What worked for me, you know, my winding path to this road, it might look different for someone else. But I say that. And then, you know, there's the part about the skills where I do feel like there are a set of skills that will help you deliver in this type of position. And those are skills that you can can pick up in a number of different ways. So that's how I tend to think about it when I'm talking to, say, MBAs at NYU, which I do often, or undergraduate potential interns, another thing that I do often in, in this role. So I'll say my background is in financial services and i really honed my ability to understand what was going on underneath the hood at any given company by going to business school you know so what i like to tell anyone interested in sustainability is not to shy away from that statistics class or corporate finance i mean that will serve you so well in this role where what we're really looking to do is put more rigor around these non-financial metrics and have them used just as much as financial metrics, and that's the goal: is to really marry the two and um, make the case for um, environmental, social governance, or sustainability—another term issues. And so, you know, that comfort working with data is certainly key to the role. Um, you know, midpoint in my career, I was working very closely with data scientists and. You know, I would just encourage anyone interested in, in this field to spend a lot of time working with data, learning how to understand it, and um, show trends and other similar uh, analysis. And then beyond that, there's the communications piece, isn't there? Um, so big part of the role is a lot of public speaking, a lot of writing. And um, you know, with my new focus uh, that I've taken on for Novada, you'll you'll be seeing more writing from me. You know, less behind the scenes and more more out front. And so, I'm really excited to do that and to exercise those muscles more than I have over the last couple of months. So, data, uh, being able to communicate what you're seeing in that data, certainly key key parts of the role.
0: Perfect advice for uh, the students out there listening to this episode. Don't shy away from that statistics course (laughs) and and very good advice for for everyone else. Just go ahead and get that experience with public speaking and writing and getting your messages out there. And I just want to thank you and Nevada because you really are intentional in terms of getting out there And sharing the messages. And I've found your ebooks and other publications, and even the other podcasts that I've listened to, uh, very, very inspiring. So, Lorraine, why don't we dig down? And, well, actually, let's start from the beginning, if we can, about Nevada and what is your typical approach for? Onboarding a client that isn't already tracking ESG metrics. What does that first conversation look like? And how do you guide them through the process?
1: Thanks, Natalie. We spend a lot of time thinking about the right experience for everyone using our platform. Um, So to simplify a bit, uh, typically, a data requester, a firm, uh, will sign up with us as a client, and um, we will have our methodology experts, we'll have our customer success team sit down with them. So there is, we are a software offering, uh, but we spend a lot of time off-platform getting to know our users learning about their use case, who are these report requests going out to? So who is the data requester and who is the data provider? What are their timelines? And so these are all part of the early conversation to understand how the platform will be used. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we're engaging in conversations on your ESG strategy. So rather than just jump in and pick a set of metrics, we want to get a better understanding and guide uh, the folks using our platform to think about it more holistically. So what could you ask this year versus next year? Have your, um, I'll use the term portfolio companies, but now we have so many use cases represented. Have your data providers done this before? Have they ever collected uh, their scope one emissions or you know, have they run an employee survey? So those are some of the areas where we'd like to get a little bit more information. Obviously, it's all optional, but we think it makes for a better reporting experience. And when we look at the fill rates, uh, the completion rates on our platform, I mean, it's a clear, good use of resources for everyone to spend the time up front on the strategy, mm-hmm. on the approach, you know, what will the welcome emails look like when they go out to the data reporters. Um, so we really think about it all so that it's a good experience end to end. And what we all want is quality data on the platform. So we're all driving towards the same thing.
0: That's great, Lorraine. You know, some sometimes we will get these calls saying, gosh, we're, you know, we're bigger now. We we should really be thinking about starting to put ESG metrics into place. And and there's this feeling of being overwhelmed just to get started. What would you say to some of those private companies who feel like they should be doing it, but they're feeling overwhelmed? What are, what are some of the benefits of just diving in, figuring out your ESG strategy and starting early on in your development?
1: That's a good question. I'd say start small. Um, We have a set of metrics that we have called our baseline. And because of that, um, we've wrapped a lot of resources around them. And we also see industry groups really looking to those set of metrics um, within the private markets as a a good place to start. And so uh, I'd say start small, be intentional. Uh, think about what's decision useful. Um, so, you know, it could be fun to get on the platform and start selecting the metrics, but you know, think about what you'll do with them ultimately. And, um, and you know, there's the ESG saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a new term I learned from one of our analysts called green hushing. And that's essentially the opposite of greenwashing. It's doing, saying nothing really about uh, your sustainability efforts, how you take ESG factors into consideration. Um, And so rather than do or say nothing, it's just starting small, being intentional, thinking about the different stakeholders that you'll be reporting to. So if I use our classic example on our platform of a private equity general partner reporting to their limited partners, you think about the metrics that they're asking you most often. But now, you know, even if you're a, uh, a general partner in the US, you've got reporting requirements most likely in Europe. Thank you to the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation. Mm-hmm. And so you, know, you think about your stakeholders and what they need, but also layer on the regulatory reporting requirements that um, many firms are facing today.
0: Great advice. Start small, be intentional, Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. <laughs> don't don't let yourself be the victim of of green hushing. Uh, th- these are these are all um, great tips, and I think just getting started is the main thing. Thanks. Lorraine, can you talk to us a little bit more about Nevada's recent expansion into europe and and you were just mentioning the, sustainable financial disclosure regulations. And I think another thing for us to touch upon is is the EU taxonomy regulation, uh, which is establishing a classification system for sustainable economic activities to address greenwashing. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. Um, so for us, we've decided to be client-led in our and that has led us over to Europe. Uh, about half of our firm is actually based in the UK and Europe. Um, oh, so wow. that's an interesting fact, yeah, that um, many people don't know about us, and so we're really being intentional about the offering. I will say we focused more on SFDR versus EU taxonomy, and um, that was just listening to our customers and how they like to use the platform. Also thinking about the use cases that are best uh, served mm-hmm. on the platform. And so what we've done is it's quite neat. We um have really, because the uh, reporting is done at the fund level, we thought about our our use case and said, well, we can make it easier for a GP to access this information from their portfolio companies. So it took some engineering and we took all of the metrics from the regulators, put them on our site and made them easily accessible for a portfolio company. So that's what yeah. was really missing in the workflow, I'll say, in terms of how firms were going to be able to take this data and aggregate it. And so we spent a lot of time testing it. Um, we do work with firms off of the plat- outside of mm-hmm. the platform to um, layer on additional support um, because it's needed. I mean, there are even updates coming out. One came out this week about what's in scope for for SFDR reporting. And so it's constantly evolving, but we see that as um, an area where we can really add value. So both providing a clear reporting framework on the platform where you can collect the data um, but also talking to firms before they start to report and engage their portfolio companies so that um, they have a good experience once they are ready to uh, collect the data and uh, review it.
0: Oh, that's great, Lorraine. I did not realize that you were now evenly split between the UK and, and the US. That's fantastic. Can you uh, share with our listeners, how are you finding that, The EU market and the UK market differ from uh, the US market?
1: Sure. I'd say, um, you know, one thing that's been trending is this focus on carbon, and that um, continues to be the case. And so you just have firms that have been collecting their emissions for years, are really sophisticated in their thinking and Possibly have a solution in place, but and we're still engaging because they realize what they have might not be the best option. You know, we also really pride ourselves in the guidance that we share on the platform, so enabling a portfolio company uh, mm-hmm. to report easily, but also off of the platform. And so we do spend a lot of time creating content, putting it on our public website, creating webinars, sharing those broadly, and bringing in uh, partners. And so. You'll see white papers uh, on our site from us and different partners who are deep specialists in the field. And I'll use carbon as an example, but it really extends to um, to other metrics on our platform as well. And so I'd say carbon is still a really major focus in, um, in the UK, in Europe. And we're a little slower in the U.S. Um, in terms of reporting with the, the kind of rigor, and you know, part of that has to do with the mandatory disclosure right. requirements that they're they're managing for um, in that area of the world. Um, so that's part of it. But I say that, and I don't want to discount um, some of the the work that's being done more broadly. And so, while carbon is still top of mind for most folks. Operating companies with 250 or more uh, employees will soon have a new requirement, and that's um, CSRD. And so we expect that um, 50,000 companies in Europe, SMEs, will start disclosing on more social issues. Think about human rights, um, your workforce composition, payment, things like that. Um, So it's actually a very broad spectrum Mm -hmm. of topics um, that fall under this umbrella. But why I'd like to point it out is because we'll see in the next couple of months, companies in Europe reporting on uh, a broad range of topics and having common uh, definitions to to do so. I think
0: that it really feels like we're reaching a tipping point and with the mandatory disclosures in Europe sort of leading, leading the way uh, to I think greater, certainly greater reporting. Lorraine, I saw in one of your ebooks, which by the way is one of the many resources available on how to implement ESG practices using metrics that Nevada has put out. in In one of the ebooks, I saw that eighty eight percent of institutional investors believe companies prioritizing ESG initiatives represent better opportunities for long-term returns. Despite this, when it comes to the U.S., where disclosures are not mandatory, we're just not seeing as much adoption. What do you think is preventing more companies from adopting ESG practices?
1: It's a great question. I think um, ESG has become a bit political here in the US. And um, you're right, we don't have many disclosure requirements today for companies, uh, particularly private companies, but that is changing. Um, and so we're all sort of watching, you know, what will happen next with the SEC. And their proposed climate rule, I think that will have a big impact on private companies, even though it's directed towards uh, large publicly traded companies. Uh, when you think about who their suppliers are, who you know, companies that are found across their value chain, it, it does include these privately held companies. And so they will need to get a handle on their emissions. So that's an area where we expect to see companies really starting to focus in the U.S. and working on their processes and putting the right resources in place and and teams to get a good handle on on what's happening there. So just a different approach here. We do see consolidation in in terms of approaches. And there are a few industry groups, um, the Integrated Disclosure Project for private credit, ESG data. Convergence initiative has done a lot for private equity, and so we see industry groups coming together. Let's say if um, you know they they'd like to agree on a, a subset of metrics uh, that they believe are particularly relevant to their space. And certainly, I I wouldn't want to leave out all of the work taking place at the International Sustainability Standards Board which now houses the SASB standard. So they had their conference in, in Canada just a few weeks ago and um, you know, have, have told us that they're working hard on updating their standards to make them more appropriate for a global audience. Um, so they had some feedback on you know the standards being a little focused on North America and they're taking the feedback and and working and looking for comments soon. So maybe that that's of interest to, to some of your listeners.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And until such time as we start seeing, and we think we will start seeing more mandatory disclosure requirements for private companies, we do know that for companies who are looking to raise around, there are concerns around ESG performance and affecting access to capital during fundraising. So, why don't we talk a little bit about how companies can better leverage their commitment to ESG practices as a competitive advantage when seeking to attract investors?
1: Absolutely. It's something we've been talking about a lot. Um so if I plug in the term general partner, so private equity firm for the company we're we're talking about from a GP's perspective, A lot of limited partners now have ESG criteria for their investments. And so, at the due diligence phase, before they invest in a GP, they are asking questions about governance, um, social issues, you know, who, how are your employees compensated, who sits on the investment team? They're also asking questions about your. Uh, carbon footprint, are you collecting this information? Are you working with your portfolio companies on it? And so it's a a topic that um, we've just seen grown in importance at the pre-investment phase. Um, Mm -hmm. And LPs are starting to um, agree on a set of questions that matter to them. We like that term metrics that matter, so that are important to them in their analysis. So that standardization is something that we're helping with. And something we can do through our platform um, and engagement with the customers on our platform. And so we do have um, the LP use case. That's one of the um, user types on our on our platform. Um, so we've we've really helped a lot in terms of standardization, helping to move firms towards a, a set of questions and what you get from adopting the standardization is benchmarking. so we do have benchmarking and analytics and so that's part of what's driving this strategy of working with people on what were custom metrics to standardize them um, and and just have more uh, people using them um, really helps in terms of addressing the fragmentation that we're seeing broadly in the space. so that's um you know that's the use case in terms of promoting what you're doing if you're a GP if you're a portfolio company, you know, oftentimes the portfolio companies that we engage with are early on um, in terms of the ESG uh, level of maturity. And so we spend a lot of time with them since they're the ones pre- preparing the data and submitting it on our platform. Often um, that's that's a really big use case on, on the platform is a portfolio company reporting. But we make the case, we we make it clear where to find your invoices, for example, if you're reporting on energy use or renewable energy use, or we also have built prototypes. So if you are reporting on a question of whether you have an employee survey, well, if the answer is no, we help you stand one up. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that's part of the process where we have spent a lot of time recording videos for the platform building prototypes, because you know the idea isn't to shame someone that they don't have this information readily available. The idea is to help them get it in place and then to follow up. So the benchmarking and analytics are more of the midway point. The data collection is really just the beginning. And then there's the action planning. What do you do after you've collected this data? And how do you improve you know, based on what, what you can see in the data?
0: That's terrific. And that's a good, that's a really good way to put it, that the idea isn't just to shame someone. You want to show them the way uh, and really starting to look at the metrics that matter and learning how to collect and how to report. And there's there was a statistics that I saw in uh, one of your eBooks that cited a Bain report that said that 93% of LPs would walk away from an investment because of ESG concerns. I think that that was a very important statistic to highlight why this, the fact that it matters, that it is mattering to LPs and, and that they're willing to walk away, you know, really good reason why private companies need to learn how how to go about developing their, their ESG practices. I found that a
1: well absolutely. Right. I think um you know the term ESG um it, it is a phrase that, that is a, it's a term that gets applied to a lot of things, but at the end of the day we're really just talking about looking at the risks and opportunities of of investing in a company and it's just data. Just um and we're making it good data right mm-hmm. by building in these guardrails on the platform and asking questions and providing a place for uh, supporting documents. So we think about an audit trail, right? Because that's one of the requirements coming out of a lot of these reporting requirements is that you work with an insurance provider. um, And so limited assurance is is right around the corner for so many firms. So we think about it in in that way. It's just another tool in the toolkit, um, gives you more perspective on the investments that you're making.
0: Excellent. And- Let's give some examples if we can. What are the most commonly requested metrics from new clients?
1: Sure. Um, So we actually see a broad range of metrics that clients are using in their reporting. Most requested metrics today, and this is looking back at our fourth quarter, scope one emissions, scope two, scope three. Uh, But then there's some Interesting metrics, and um, they relate to how workers are doing on the job. And so number of work-related fatalities, injuries, these are important questions that um, private equity firms have been tracking for years and reporting out to uh, their boards. And so how is the workforce doing in terms of turnover or pay? Number of women on the board is another top metric. So these are the different areas that are covered today. It's a nice broad range, but gives you a good picture on how a company's doing. And obviously, there are costs associated. If you're losing a lot of workers, um, the Mm -hmm. the cost to replace you know big chunk of your workforce is significant. um, And to get new hires up to speed. So that's just an example of why um, some of these metrics. You know, your injuries certainly. Certainly important to stop and look into what's happening at any given facility and why why um, people may be getting hurt um, and at work. Um, so those are that's just a snapshot of what we're seeing. We think it's pretty representative. We now have thirty six hundred and growing companies reporting on the platform. Um, so we think it's pretty representative in terms of the issues that people are looking into.
0: That's great. Yeah, Is it, when, once you have that number of companies who are reporting on the platform, you you certainly can dig into what you're seeing in that data. And happy to hear that human capital management is a rising a metric. It certainly is not only a measure of risk, but also a good capital management. Certainly we've seen leads to value creation. So that's great, Lorraine. Thank you for sharing that. So we just talked about the data collection and having thousands of companies now reporting on the platform. How can Nevada's technology help companies to track and report on their ESG metrics?
1: There are a lot of features. I I appreciate the question. There, There are a lot of features that we've Spent time thinking about on the platform that I think make reporting easier. So I don't want to discount the human element. We've spent a lot of time and we've invested a lot in the work we do off, the outside of the the platform. Um, and I talked about our customer success team. They are they are amazing. Talked about the resources on our site, but within the platform itself, we talked earlier about having good data quality. And so we've built into the platform some guardrails and they'll keep getting smarter and smarter over time. But the idea is that um, you can't just decline to answer a question. That's you know, the biggest complaint GPs have is that you know portfolio company just you know, gives up and declines to answer the question or enter something that's a different value than they were looking for. So say I enter text instead of numbers. So we've mm-hmm. we've really built the platform to be quite smart. Um, it can tell if you're entering the wrong types of information, but also we have guardrails where we're saying, hmm, this seems... Off. Um, it's you know two standard deviations away from other <laughs> answers um, for oh, this great. metric. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it will prompt you to you check your answer. Another feature that we thought about and, and built in was to save responses from the previous year. So we do have customers that have renewed. Um, even though we're early, that we, we're already in our second reporting season with customers. And so they've renewed and we've we have their values saved from the last reporting season. And so that's helpful for context. Other ways we make the platform smart is we have different areas where we're tracking uh, where if it's uh, carbon emissions, did you calculate it through uh, the calculator that we have embedded on our platform? So we know that mm-hmm. we will tag those numbers. Did you work with a third-party firm for verification while well, there's a place for you to note that and to upload um. You know, the, a letter from them, you know, with their conclusions. Did you want to leave a note for a coworker? You know, and it won't. They don't go into the final submission, but perhaps a note, you know, about your workflow and, and what it took to get this information. So those are some of the things we we think about in terms of. And this is just on the data entry side. Once the data is in, then you get access to the really nice um, benchmarking and analytics. And so we currently offer public company benchmarks and private company benchmarks. And we are just thinking about ways to grow the offering over time and put forward more solutions to help people really contextualize the data.
0: That notion of teaching as you collect the data and and sort of (laughs) prompting where necessary with uh, these, are you sure, questions, (laughs) I think that that is a very, really, really great feature. So, Lorraine, where do you think we will be in five to ten years as it relates to tracking and reporting on ESG metrics?
1: Well, I'll say, just looking back on the past one year at Novata,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we have just been amazed in in terms of the types of firms that have come to us, and so we've really expanded quite quickly to support many different types of of use cases. I mentioned private equity, private credit, didn't touch on venture or impact or mm. individual small companies that have come to us and have been managing just fine using the solution and um, are thinking about even bigger plans for, for next year. And so regional representation, that's, that's really grown and expanded over the past uh, year. And so That's looking backward, but I I think it's important to talk about where you've come from. And so, you know, we still will keep adding more regulatory frameworks as they develop. We expect that to continue, especially in Europe. And then the voluntary standards. We talked earlier about the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, updating their voluntary reporting standards and so that's something we're watching very closely and we will you know make sure to figure out the right way to add that to our platform for for our customers and so that's that's how we you know think about it in terms of how people report why they're reporting certainly we'll continue the education And we're going to focus a lot more on content going forward. So where the ESG conversation will go, I'm personally very excited to see reporting on social issues um, just rising to the forefront of the conversation in Europe. It's it's happening this summer. We expect CSRD to be finalized. And so we're really just um, getting our materials together and looking forward to in-depth conversations on that reporting requirement and then in the US and we are we're having more sophisticated conversations around carbon and also spending a lot of time thinking about how to enhance our existing offering we launched refinement not long ago and we're thinking about how we can keep building to support uh growing demand here as well and so that's that's how we think about it both you know what's going on from a regulatory perspective which is a big driving factor what are stakeholders thinking about and we have great relationships with the um, the industry groups and we'll keep that up and keep supporting their work. Um, we're always happy to be in those conversations and to enable their work and help people collect um, quickly um, and participate in those, those initiatives.
0: That's great, Lorraine. That is for sure. You know, in some of the work that our firm's done with the NVCA, I mean, it is, it's, a huge issue. It's it really, uh, you know, starting a couple of years ago, you just saw more and more discussion around it. As our episode comes to a close, I would love it if you would allow our listeners to get to know you a bit better by agreeing to a quick fire challenge. Would that be okay?
1: That sounds great, Natalie. Sounds Sounds fun.
0: Okay, here we go. What is an extreme sport or activity that you would like to try?
1: I'm going to go with, uh, paragliding. I actually have done this before, uh, just over, over 10 years ago in New Zealand. And I was just looking up photos. So I, I would do that again. I would go back to Queenstown, get back up that mountain. I was very hesitant before, um, but, but I'd be more enthusiastic getting up there and do that again. It was a, a great experience.
0: All right. You're very, very brave, uh, but it, New Zealand seems like the perfect place to try something like that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. They they have just a reputation, adventure sports, yeah.
0: Love it. Okay, here's the next one.
1: What was your favorite vacation growing up? Favorite vacation? Well, this one is, um, you know, we weren't just resting on the beach. I did this fantastic service trip to Puerto Rico. Now, I I was in middle school. Oh wow! And obviously, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, we stayed in the rainforest, El Yungay, and we were there as part of a service trip where we were rebuilding some homes that had been damaged by you know one of the many hurricanes. Unfortunately, they they get in in the region. Yeah. And um, but in between our building, we did take breaks and and got to explore a bit. And um, I still have really great memories of that trip. So yeah, that's that's got to be my top top pick.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I have a a middle schooler myself uh, who uh, did a similar trip to Costa Rica and I uh, mm-hmm. last summer and I think she'll never never forget it. So Yeah. Love yeah. it. Okay, here's our last one for you Lorraine. Sure. What is a subject you'd like to learn more about?
1: Wow. I mean, I take in a lot of information in this role, but my mind goes to Perhaps not a subject, but a language. I, um, not many people know this about me, but I actually went to um, a Spanish immersion elementary school, and so we took all of our classes in Spanish, even math. And uh-huh. so lately, I've just, you know, now I've got children of my own, and um, you think about language and learning, and I'm I'm getting back into it. So I'm I'm practicing more, getting back into it. Hopefully, we'll get back to the level. You know, I was at when, um, when I, this was my day. My day to day was speaking Spanish. Yeah.
0: Okay. Luego, Lorraine, vamos a practicar un poco. Okay.
1: Oh, bueno. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Listeners, Novada has created an effective ESG framework that is actually deployable. Private markets represent over 90% of companies in the world, and many are committed to ESG, but don't know where to start. Nevada is the solution. Its ESG metrics and analytics benefit all stakeholders by giving them the insights they need. Lorraine, such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Natalie.
0: And thanks to all our listeners. Bye. You've just listened to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer, the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the Future Work Playbook.